Wait, do any of you guys ever call Scott El Jefe? No? Yeah. He calls himself that? Do y'all band members mind if I put this down, like, just a little bit? Is that okay? Who's what? That's cool? Yeah, so like Scott said, my name is Matt. I hang out here quite a bit. Um, so that's been great. My kids used to go to school across the street, and I wandered over one day and met Scott, and like he said, there were sparks, and it just was immediately like, wow, we have a lot in common uh, in the ministry. But uh, I always feel like I've spoken here a couple times, but it, you guys don't really know me. I don't really know you. Uh, we meet every six months or so, and you know, so I thought I'd share a couple things about my life. I have a wife. I have one wife, which... Yes, can I? Yeah, that's good. I have two kids. My daughter's here with me, and that's unnecessary. But um, she's here with me today. We have a dog named Jill, who we love. Um, I love to eat Chipotle, cauliflower crust pizzas. Um, if, I've, if you heard me here before, you know, what's, what's the condiment I absolutely despise? Thank you. Yes. When I see Norman Sozo, he's like, he tells me about this. But I can't, I can't imagine that some of y'all take a perfectly good pizza and then put it in ranch and then eat it again. <sighs> anyway, it's so, it's so bad. So that, oh, that's another one. Like if you put blue cheese in ranch and it was chunky, oh. That would be like, I tell my wife, like, that would, be, that would be hell for me, just having to continually eat that. It'd be awful. But uh, so that, I mean, funny things, whatever, but uh, I've had the blessing, some would say curse, of I've been in ministry for 20 plus years, different roles in ministry, from volunteer to pastor to et cetera. And now in my vocation, I work with churches and pastors. I do uh, content creation, curation, all that good stuff. So I get to be in ministry, but not in ministry, which I found to be really pretty fun. So like Scott said, when um, I have an opportunity to support a local pastor, um, to hang out with Scott at lunch or do any of that, I'm all in because I, that's a difficult job. And he's right when he says it can often feel like you have to always be on and you can never take a break. So Scott, we love you. Thanks for what you do. Uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, so if you want to give him an extra long hug, go for it. <laughs> but don't call him Hefe. That's you can't do that. So today, um, as Scott already mentioned, I was gonna maybe tease you a little bit about it, but the reality is um, we are gonna be at the end of Acts, and I'll explain that in a minute. But before we get there, who who has have you ever felt hindered in your life, like hindered? And it happens a lot of different ways, right? Like sometimes, like in my family, there's four of us in the house. Three of us have chronic health problems. So my daughter and I have an autoimmune disease. My wife has different problems. My son is healthy, but he's 13. So is he really healthy? Like, not really. But yeah, he's, he talks a big game. But so we, we, we find a lot of hindrance in like, we just can't physically do a lot of things. So, you know, someone might ask us to go, hey, can you come do this? Well, no. Someone else might say, hey, can you come over for dinner? We're like, well, what are you going to, what are we eating? Because <laughs> we, we can't eat, like, 
700 different things. So you know what I mean? There's a lot of, we're hindered that way, and there's other way. All of us experience this at some point, right? So we experience some hindrance in our lives. We understand what that feels like. It doesn't feel great. But then in our faith, I think a lot about it in our faith too, but we, a lot of times we feel hindered in our faith. Have you ever thought to yourself, like, I just think there's something more to faith? I, I read these stories, I'm in Acts, I read the Gospels, I see the miracles, and you're like, I, I, is there something I'm missing? Is there something more? And often we can feel like held back or hindered or et cetera. So those are real feelings. And actually, when I think about being hindered, I think of this picture, if you guys have it. The next slide. <laughs> this picture, that one. That's a picture of um, horses getting ready to run a race, and they're held in by a gate, right? So they're standing at the gate. They're ready to run, but they're not able to run. And if you, if you know these animals, I mean, these are beautiful animals. So you know the minute that gate opens, they're running in all the majesty and strength that they, God gave them to run. But at this moment, they're just held by that gate, Right? So they're just held back from entering into and running their race. So that's kind of that's a picture I think of. Uh, I don't know what picture you think of. You know, what would what would you put up on the screen if you were able to? So, but this is not a, a message about being hindered. As you already saw the other slide, the message today actually is unhindered. Unhindered. And today I thought it'd be a good idea to do something with you, like Scott said, that some people would think is heinous. We're going to go to the end of the book. Do any of you read the end of the story? Some of you do. Or maybe you don't want to get called out. But some of you read the end of the story, but some people think that's just heinous. Don't do that. But we're actually going to skip to the end. And of course, the, the right question would be like, well, why are we going to do that? We're already in Acts. Does that mean Scott's going to redo it? Does that, like, what are we doing here? Why? Why would you agree to this? All those things. So why would I do this? Because I, I actually think there's something really, really special about the book of Acts. There's something really special about the book of Acts. I want to read you kind of a longer quote, uh, one, one commentator kind of describing Acts. So, Historically, the book serves as a vital link between the Gospels and the Epistles. So as you probably know, but Gospels were, those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have Acts, and the Epistles come after Acts. Those are the letters. You have Paul's letters, Peter, Jude, James. So Acts serves as a bridge. It bridges the gap between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. In the Gospels, Jesus is preaching. In the epistles, Jesus is being preached. The book of Acts explains how the messenger became the center of the message. And you guys have been seeing that and living that. That's not new news here. But unlike most history books, Acts is filled with references to God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And frankly, the story just would not have happened or been possible without God. He started it, motivated, gave it direction, energy, purpose, message protection. And Luke, the author of Acts, gives us, he doesn't give us what you'd call like a systematic description of God, but he describes what God did with the church. 
So I want to say that again. The book of Acts, Luke doesn't give a systematic, line-by-line, bullet-pointed list of who God is, but instead Luke invites us into the stories of God in the early church. So as you go through Acts, it's really important to remember that everything points back to Christ and his church. Story after story after story of God's provision, his power, his protection. And and you guys have already been through these, but it's Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin, right? These uneducated, unable fishermen preaching to the Jewish elite. It's all the believers being of one heart, one mind, sharing everything, selling their possessions, giving to one another freely. It's Philip baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch and then being Star Trek beamed away at at nowhere. He's gone, but the eunuch is baptized. It's Saul to Paul, Peter escaped from prison, and the list could go on and on and on, right? That's just, and that's just a few stories. Acts is filled with these stories. So the, the Acts is not, again, a list of attributes to memorize. It's not bullet points to list out in a spreadsheet, well, God's like this, and he's like this, like this. It tells the story of the birth of Christian faith and the very beginnings of the spread of the gospel. The book of Acts really is, and you guys have heard this before, it's Jesus for everywhere. Jesus for everywhere. And when you're going through the book of Acts, and again, this is why I think it's so special, but when you're going through the book of Acts, there's one specific word that brings it all together, and amazingly, it's the very, very last word of the book, which is the word unhindered. Acts ends with this singular word, unhindered, amazingly. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, we, I thank you, thank you, thank you for the rain, the opportunity to be here. I thank you so much for Uh, the Morgan family, the opportunity they had to get away. I thank you so much for Missio Day. I pray your blessing in this place. I pray, God, that you would let us today, let us, please let us learn a little bit more about you, understand you a little bit more, be encouraged by your truth. Help us to become a little more unhindered in our faith and help us to know you more, to leave encouraged and to head out into this week inspired and ready to live into the calling that you have given to us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's do the heinous thing. Go to Acts 28. Just fly right by. Where are you? You're in 13, right? (laughs) So so fast forward to 28. You're going to go to the very final two verses. Uh, You could put those two on the screen if you would. So this is actually the NASB. Different translations will say different things. Some will say without hindrance at the end. Some may say a different thing, Um, but we're going to read this one. So Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered, Acts 28, 30, and 31. That's the last two verses of Acts. So what's going on in this passage? Um... And Scott's probably going to reteach some of this. But in this passage, right, Paul is in Rome, and he's under house arrest. So he's actually, he's actually paying of his own money. So he's, in theory, being funded by other believers, but he's living in a rented space. 
He's under Roman guard, and he's waiting for what they call, he's waiting for a, uh, he's waiting basically to be seen by Caesar. So he's trying to appeal to Caesar. So in his Roman citizenship, he appealed to Caesar. So now he's been sent off over here. So he's in this waiting period. And, and you have to remember, he's under house arrest. So he's under guard. So he calls himself a prisoner, and he says he's in chains. It's, it seems like a pretty nice way to be doing it. So let's go through this just line by line. So Paul stayed two full years in his own lodging, welcomed everybody who came. So as I already said, this is why he's here. He's under house arrest. He rents his own space, and he's welcoming everyone who comes to him, right? So he's in, he's, <laughs> you could only imagine, right? But he's in this whatever tiny home, and anyone and everyone who comes to visit him can, and they seem to be pretty loose with his arrest. They seem to be pretty loose with what can happen, but lots of people are coming and going, and when they come, he is preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's preaching and teaching just like Jesus did. He has an open table. Hey, anyone who wants to come visit, come on down, and he tells them about Jesus, preaches to them. He's obeying the Great Commission. It's this really, I'm trying to give you like a feel for what, what's he doing, what's going on, and he does all this, it says, with all openness unhindered. So he's very bold in what he's doing, and you can kind of sense that, right? He's under arrest. He's in Rome, but there's people constantly coming and going, and he's telling everybody about Jesus. Like, this dude, this dude's pretty bold, right? He's got some confidence. And Luke ends the book of Acts with this amazing word. And you can go look, if you want to look at the actual, like, papyrus or scroll that they wrote on, the last word of Acts not in the English, but there in the original language is the word unhindered. So you can imagine as Luke is recounting the whole story of Acts, and he's trying to imagine, how do, how do, I, how do I bring this together? How do I describe this? How do I leave this open-ended and encouraging? He writes this last word, without hindrance, unhindered, and he ends the book, and then the epistles begin. It's absolutely, it's so beautiful. It's amazing. So also in this time, so most of Paul's writings happened over 15 years, but while he was imprisoned, he specifically wrote, he wrote a lot of letters, but four of them specifically are called the prison epistles. Uh, you probably, you, you've heard of these, but I don't know if you ever connected. He wrote these while he was in house arrest in Rome. These were Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So those are called the prison epistles. So while Paul is there under guard. He's, again, he's welcoming all these people. He's telling them about Jesus. But then he's also taking his time and he's writing to churches. Maybe he's helped plant or he knows. And he's encouraging them as well. And so we get these letters that come from his time while he's under arrest. While he's under arrest. And actually, I'm going to go through with you one by one real quick. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And we're going to draw out just a little bit. We're going to hear like the unhindered nature of Paul's faith in these messages, in these letters. And you can begin to see how he's even encouraging others while he's sitting in this place waiting to be seen by Caesar and there's a guard right out of his door. 
right? So it's very important to keep all this context in mind. So Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. If you have that, you can write it down. I'll read it for you. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he says, make the most of every opportunity, which he clearly is doing, right, while he's sitting there in his house. He's got some extra time on his hands. He's going to write some letters. That's awesome. Understand what the Lord's will is. Have y'all ever thought to yourself, if I could just understand what God's will is? I know I have. If I could just understand what his will is. Thankfully, there's several places he tells us what it is. Probably my favorite is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Here's what it says. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To be joyful always, to pray continually, to give thanks in any and every circumstance you find yourself in. This is God's will for you. So, Paul is encouraging the Ephesians that adversity is even an opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity, he says. It's God's will that in any circumstance that we would be grateful. If I get an autoimmune disease diagnosis, like that's not a great day, but I can find space to praise God. I can say, thank you, God. Thank you that we know. Thank you for keeping me healthy. Thank you. When my daughter was diagnosed uh, with diabetes, this just happened not too long ago, it was a lot of those feelings of like, man, what are you doing? But then, but then as you get over kind of the shock, we were able to take a step back and look at a multitude of reasons to be thankful, multitude of reasons, not the least of which is one of my best friends in town has a son who also has type 1, and so we get to see their family all the time. Like, God, God knows what he's doing, right? So he challenges us to be grateful in every situation. Adversity is an opportunity. You're not hindered necessarily by adversity. It's an opportunity. Then we turn to Philippians. In Philippians, Paul says some crazy stuff. He says in 121, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he's like in, in, under arrest. And he's going, I'm alive. This is great. And when they kill me, I'm going to be with Jesus. And by the way, like Nero did, historians say, they beheaded Paul. So he, he, was, he was martyred. And then this longer passage from Paul, which is really poignant. He says to the Philippian church, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Everything Paul had, he says, I count as nothing because I know Christ. These are not the words of an obstructed and hindered man. These are the words of a man at peace. Amen? You can only say that stuff if you are very much at peace in your identity. 
everything I have, everything I've gained, I count as rubbish in light of knowing God. That's the words of an unhindered man. In Colossians, he says, for he has rescued us. This is Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, The third song we sang today together reminded me of this verse. So beautiful. I once was lost, but I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That is God's unhindered love and grace in our lives. Paul also says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. That's Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Actually, all of Colossians 1. Amazing, amazing. But God has brought those who were far off. He's brought them near. There's no obstruction or hindrance to the grace of God As you all have heard, again, many times already, Jesus is for everyone, and Jesus is for everywhere. There's no longer a hindrance or a dividing line. All are welcome at the fellowship table with Jesus. And then the last letter is Philemon. If you've never read Philemon, this letter is amazing. This is an amazing letter that displays the grace and forgiveness of God and invites us into this crazy story, which I'll just share super briefly. But Paul writes to Philemon, who's a brother in Christ, and he writes to Philemon about a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus has left and has become a brother. I don't don't know the whole process. But Paul's writing back to Philemon saying, Philemon, here's the deal. This slave ran away, but he's a brother. And I want you to receive him as a brother. I want you to receive Onesimus back in the fold as a brother in Christ. Do not punish him as a slave. Do not hold him, you know, don't hold over his head what he did. He's forgiven. He's freed. These are Paul's words. Paul's writing all this while he himself's in prison. This is not a man who's living a hindered faith. Amen? That's the whole point. All four of these letters, these prison epistles, they point to a man who understands, I am free. And he's writing to others saying, extend grace and freedom. So we see this variety from Paul, um, see what he's writing. Luke, the author of Acts, I think rightly identifies this as he describes two years of Paul's life with two verses of Scripture. Two years of Paul's life with two verses of Scripture, Acts 28, 30, and 31. And what better word to end the story than the word he chose, which is the word unhindered. Unhindered. The very last word of Acts could very well be the first word of faith for all of those who believe. I'll say that again. I think it's it's on the screen. Thanks. The very last word of Acts could very well be the first word of faith for all all those who believe. All those who believe. As I've mentioned already, I, th- I think about this passage a lot. I think about this word a lot. I think about the ways I'm hindered in my life, uh, contrasted with the ways I am free in my faith. And there's, when I think about all that, I think, and Scott and I actually went out and talked about this, because there's so many things you could point to, but I've chosen, there's three specific 
places I feel like the supplies in our faith. So I'm going to share those with you today. Three is a very good godly number if you're giving a sermon. So we're going to do three points, right? Makes sense. We can all remember. The first major point or the first place I think this applies is in the bondage and freedom. Bondage and freedom. John 8, 36 says, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Amen? And what specifically are we freed from? Sin and death. Or as Paul says it, the dominion of darkness. So here's one of my favorite verses on this subject. It's Galatians 5, 1, also written by Paul. He says this, for freedom, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We are saved by grace through faith. Set free from the law of sin and death. Grace, amen, by grace. It's not about how much I show up at church. It's not about how much I tithe. It's not about how nice I am. It's not all the ways that I just blah, blah, blah. There's no spreadsheet that keeps track of that. If there was, do you know what the spreadsheet would have on it? Have a big, beautiful picture of Jesus' face. And he'd be smiling, going like, you don't got to do this. Maybe not. Did they? they had spreadsheets back then. But saved by grace, set free. And in that freedom, we're free to believe that God can and he will act on behalf of others. We're free to come with Jesus with anything, free to approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence, free to bring any any diagnosis, any sickness, anything to Jesus by faith. We are free to live as beloved sons and daughters no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter the circumstances, free to enjoy the lives that God has given to us even when they don't look like we want, free to count everything else as lost compared to the greatness of knowing Christ? Come on, guys, this is such good stuff. With all that said, the unfortunate truth for many of us is that we easily become disillusioned with our faith. And I, not to pick on you, this happens to me. Disillusioned with our faith, we lose our wonder and awe of God so easily. We lose sight of that first love. And a lot of us willingly go back and put the chains of slavery back on. We get bored. We get disillusioned. Our expectations aren't met. Paul actually describes this in Galatians 4, 8, and 9. He says, When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back again to those weak and miserable forces? (laughs) Paul doesn't mince words, does he? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again, he asks? Do you want to go back into the prison cell? Obviously, I don't think anybody here wants that. But I think we have to recognize that this is a reality of our faith. We do become disillusioned. I do have prayers that God hasn't answered in the way I want. I don't want my daughter or my wife or my family to to have adversity and sickness, etc. So I pray and I ask God to intervene. I don't want those things. And, And then frankly, the world is moving so quickly 
And there are so many interesting things to be distracted by that it's really easy to lose our awe and wonder of God. Really easy. You know, my poor son, I'm, I'm like, hey, what did you learn about God today? And he's like, Dad, the new Jordan 1s just dropped. And I'm like, hold on. It's not what I asked. So it's so easy, so easy. And we're all susceptible to this. But the beauty, and hear me when I say this, the beauty of being set free and the glory of being loved is that we are always welcome to return to Christ. The beauty of being set free, the glory of being loved is that we are always welcome to return to Christ. So let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race he's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He says that in Hebrews 12. Which that brings me to my second point, which is our position in culture. Our position in culture. And I know that Scott actually talks a lot about this, so you've already probably heard everything I'm going to say. So something beautiful happens in our lives, and I don't, if I had all day, I could share with you, but this this beauty captivated my life and, and my family's life over the past few years. But something beautiful happens in our lives we're no longer hindered by having a false identity to protect. I'm just going to say that again. Something beautiful happens in our lives when we're no longer hindered by having a false identity to protect. If my position in life is only defined by what I do, my job, my volunteering, my whatevering, by what I do, or what I have, my possessions, my wealth, my finances, my whatever. So if my position in life is only defined by what I do or what I have, then unfortunately, I have everything to lose. Because at any moment, either of these things can be taken from me. At either moment, I can lose all these things. But if my position in life is defined by who God says I am, then I am truly free. (laughs) So that's why Paul can say something crazy like, everything I've gained, all my title, all my prestige, Blah, 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 blah. I count it all a loss. It's all a loss. It's in the loss column, and in the gain column is one name, Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to say. So there's something beautiful when we're no longer hindered by having a false identity to protect. And we see this in Paul. He could have easily gone into jail. Actually, guys, you know this, but he could have easily, 100,000 things happened to him. He could have easily been like, well, guess I'm done. guess I'm done. I just died. I guess I'm done. I just, he got stoned to death, right? I, well, I'm done. Shipwrecked. I'm done. He never did that. Never did that. Instead, he, welc- <laughs> he welcomes everyone to his house arrest jail condo, and, he's a- and then he sits there and he writes letters encouraging everybody else. <sighs> it's amazing. He's able to do all this because he understands his position, right? I'm not a prisoner. I'm a redeemed son, I'm not, I'm not enslaved in chains. I'm a beloved child of God. Like, he just, he understands that. So that's how he's able to live, and we see that in him. And when we rightly understand this truth, then we're able to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're able to forgive as we have been forgiven. We're able to extend kindness, generosity, and hope 
to others. We're able to boldly and confidently share our faith wherever we are. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be jerks. We're, we're unhindered, right? I'm not hindered by a false identity to protect. I don't need you to think that I'm some amazing Christian. I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace. When we no longer are hindered by having that to protect, then we're freely, truly free to live in the love as Christ intended. If you've been set free, and if your position in life is that of a beloved child, then this third point gets to be very exciting. And the third point is the Great Commission. The Great Commission. I'm sure you are, but if you're not familiar with the Great Commission, it's, it's Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, I believe. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. And the beautiful, there's a beautiful teaching within this command about this, or about in this commission, about this specific command at the beginning of verse 19, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. All right, so if you, if you want to underline or write that down, go and make disciples. Beautiful teaching about this, because the important thing to remember is that this command specifically is not a singular destination to arrive at, but it is a way of living out all your days on earth. So it's not a singular destination I somehow arrive at. I've arrived. I'm a disciple maker. Rather, it's a way of living as we follow Christ, a mindset, a lifestyle, whatever, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to think about it. One author says, wherever you're going, whenever you're going, whatever your reason you're going, your assignment's always the same. Go and make disciples. So in the going. So this frees us up, right? Whether you're in politics or you're in prison. Whether you're headed to the... Some people might say that's the same. So politics or prison. Whether you're headed to the same old coffee shop week after week like I do, which I love. It's not old to me. The same fresh coffee shop. Or you're trying to become the next franchise owner of a Starbucks which, I'm sorry, Scott, you don't, y'all don't know. Whether you're a student, teacher, mother, father, pastor, pediatrician, the commission's always the same. It's always the same. We're, we are to welcome others and share the gospel, even when things aren't going the way we want them to go. Amen? How often do things go the way you want them to go? Do we want to talk about that? Not often. 10%? That's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> 10%? I actually, uh, when I think about this, I, um, I was meeting someone at a Starbucks. That's when I lived in Colorado. It wasn't here. Um, I was meeting someone early for coffee, and I, I parked. And it was super early. So I parked, and I, I, when I pulled in, I saw there was a police officer like, for uh, whatever, parking spots down. And when I parked, I immediately felt that thing that happens sometimes where it, I just felt the Lord being like, go pray for him. And I actually audibly was like, no. I was like, God, it's too early. I can barely see. Like, I'm not doing this. I eventually did, right? So I, 
after telling God no, I was like, well, okay, fine. But the thing was, was that, again, not a glowing example of a faithful servant, but this is the reality, right? So I really didn't want to do this, but I go over, talk to this police officer, and I prayed for him. And when I was done, he was, he had tears. And I just thought, like, man, even, even when I don't want to, like, God was doing something in this man's life on this morning, and I just got to enter into that thing. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't going to Starbucks to see him. I was going to see someone else. So that's when I think of going and, and being a part of the commission. That's kind of what I think of is, like, are we open to God interrupting our lives? And, and again, I, I, say this, I say this with love, but, like, not like your day goes how you want it to go anyway. So you might as well let God intervene and do something amazing, right? Might as well do a miracle. So in Paul, we see this willingness to, he viewed adversity as an opportunity. He modeled the go and make command. He was preaching and teaching, writing letters. We've talked about all that. And it's because that's who God called him to be, right? And when you guys get to Acts 28, you're going to hit one of my favorite stories. Um, Actually, I say that every time I'm up here, right? Oh, that's my favorite story. That's my favorite story. But in Acts 28, in the beginning, Paul gets shipwrecked on Malta, and he ends up there for like three months. And it's this really wild story of like, of like Paul having uh, like an all-inclusive vacation in Malta where he literally praying for people, healing people, blessing people. Guys, it would have been so easy to be shipwrecked and for him to be like, oh, I'm so angry. But instead he just, as he was going, he just entered into the commission and started being and doing who and what God called him to do and be, Right? So beautiful story. I can't wait till you get to tackle that. It's like so good. It's so good. But Paul lived out his days the same way we're called to, unhindered, unobstructed, untangled, and free. Unhindered, unobstructed, untangled, and free. So as I wrap this up today, I just I wonder where you might be seeing the unhindered nature of faith at work in your life. I can share my stories, but what stories would you share? Are there other areas you would... I just gave you three areas. What are the other areas you would add where you see God's unhindered grace, unhindered love, unhindered forgiveness? And as you all continue in the book of Acts, and as you follow Jesus, don't forget the bigger story that you're a part of. The book of Acts describes the very beginning of our faith, of our faith. This is our family. These are our stories. So it's easy to see these stories and read in this book, and it's easy enough to go, well, that's those stories, and that happened in that place, and that was 2,000 years ago. But those stories, these are our stories too. So please remember that. Actually, I want to read with you uh, in this, this commentator. He says, he says this, There may be tribulation, and some of it may be at the hands of our own technology gone mad. Terminator stuff. Yet there has always been tribulation for disciples, even in times when the rest of the world felt, felt quite peaceful and secure. 
Our security as believers lies, as it always has, not in the fulfillment of optimistic hopes for human progress in technology or superpower arms control. Our hope lies in the hands of a loving and powerful God. This knowledge enables us to speak even when nuclear paralysis or fear of the future makes many stand in helpless silence. Since Pentecost, nothing has been able to silence the tongues of God's faithful witnesses. In your church and mine, the story continues. The story continues. Unhindered may be the last word of Acts, but it's the first word of faith for us as we follow Christ. And so when I think of the idea of being unhindered, I have one more picture for you. I kind of think of this. Oh, so good. When I first moved to Colorado, I was, um, if you was driven that way, but as you drive through Kansas, you know, it's, it's seriously depressing. <laughs> like if I, I, well, God bless you. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'm not trying to say anything offensive, but I was depressed. I was just trying to find something, you know. So I'm driving through Kansas. When you come through Kansas, then you hit, kind of start hitting the Rocky Mountains. So I'm driving into Colorado when I first moved out there, and the, the Rocky Mountains are in the distance. And I look to my right, and there are wild horses running in the fields. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. If my 16 hours in Kansas was just for this, fine. But, but when I think of being unhindered, you know, again, these two pictures that I've shared, Hindered to me feels like a thoroughbred standing at a gate, and the gate's closed. And that thoroughbred has all the ability, all the giftedness, all the majestic glory, all built into it by its amazing creator, but it's behind, stuck behind a gate. And when I think of being unhindered, I think of a wild horse being able to run around free, you know, doing whatever horses do in their freedom. And I, I think of this picture. But what picture comes to mind when you think of those things, right? And that may give you some insight as to how to pray this coming week. You know, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? What's the gate in front of you that you're having a hard time moving through? You know, are you bold? Are you open? Are you free? Are you living unhindered? The beauty of being set free and the glory of being loved is that we're always welcome to return to Christ. So as I leave you today, I want, I want to invite you, I want to invite you into the unhindered nature of our faith. That might be the, for the first time you accept the invitation. It might be the thousandth time. It may be just be a good reminder. Oh yeah, this is our faith. This is our faith. But never forget that these stories are our stories. And if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. There's no two ways around it. So that's, that's it for that. Thanks for having me. I want to um, I'm leave you with a benediction. So uh, Scott told me that he usually shares number six with you, a priestly blessing, which is amazing. But I want to share with you, actually, I want to reread over us this passage from Hebrews 12, which I shared. So whatever you want to do, I don't know how you do it. Hold your hands out, just close your eyes, whatever, whatever you want to do. But here it is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for setting us free. God, I pray over this church, over these people, over these families, that if there is hindrance, God, that you would, you would help, help folks to become unhindered. I pray that this word and this reality would, would sit in our minds this week as we interact with others, as we you know, think about being free, as we think about our position, as we think about the Great Commission. Help us, God, to, to enter into uh, freedom and to love others. And, and even when we don't want to, to show up, uh, to be Jesus in the situations that you call us to. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you so much that, that again, I'm, we're not defined by our circumstance. We're defined by who you say we are, which is beloved children of the Most High God. We thank you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks a ton for having me. Um,